Hey, hey, so glad that you guys are here this wonderful Saturday morning. Keep letting me know where you are tuning in from. Um, we are in our second week of studying the book of Acts. And um, that means that we're going to be looking at chapter two. Every single week, we are going just one chapter at a time. So no matter when you started, if you're starting with us now, if you're watching a replay, if you're listening to it on the podcast, Yes, we have a podcast. Check it out. Um, you can just jump right in. You'll know exactly where we are, or you can binge to get caught up. Be sure to subscribe to this channel, especially if you love the messages that we um, teach here. To make sure that you like the channel, that you like the video, and subscribe to the channel. I got it. I knew I would figure it out, right? Um, so what's up? I hope y'all been good. Let's. I want to get right into this. I think about... Um, I read this book one time and it was about, it was like something like happy women live happier lives or women who are happy have better lives or happy people live better lives. And I thought to myself, well, duh, of course, right? If they're happier, then it's better. Or if it's a better life, then of course they're happy. But it gave, it was a really good book, by the way. Um, but it gave like all of these things that you can do to like increase your happiness. And one of those things, which I remember was having something that you are looking forward to. So planning something, um, a surprise, whether it's an event or a travel, a gift, something you're going to get yourself a treat, whatever it is, you know, having something that you have to look forward to that is positive that you can think of between now and the time that you get it, that actually increases our feelings of being happy. And, and I read it many years ago, but it's one of the things that really stuck with me. And I wonder, I thought about that book because I wonder if like, if that is how the, um, if that's how the disciples felt, you know what I'm saying? Because they were promised by Jesus this gift. This gift is going to come. You guys stay here. You wait for it. I wonder if they were excited as they waited. I wonder if they were nervous. Now, we talked about chapter one, um, how they stayed together. They were praying together and they stayed kind of holed up in the city. He told them not to leave, that the Holy Spirit would come to them. That they were to stay in Jerusalem. And so I just wonder if it was a thing that was exciting for them to be waiting. Well, this week in chapter two, we get to see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. If you're a person who takes notes and you need a sermon title for today's message, it is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. That's today's message. And it's going to be coming to you from Acts chapter two, verses one through 47. We are a Bible studying church. And so what that means is that um, I may reference a few verses, but the expectation is that you as a member of Bold Faith Community Church um, or community member here, you have been reading through chapter two, preparing um, for this, for today's message, right? So you've already been reading it. So it's not going to be anything brand new. It's okay if this is your first time, you can just go back and read it, you know, after you watch this, it's okay. You don't have to stop the video. Keep watching. If you're not live with us, um, as we're, as we're, um, streaming this. So it's going to be coming from all of chapter two. So let's just get right into it. I want to start like, just by giving you a little overview this is one of those days where I have notes all over the place and I hope that I can, um, I feel like I want to say I'm not going to be before you all, but I have notes all over the place. So that is probably not true. Um, let's get to a, a summary. Um, 
of what took place, just like a quick overview. So um, when the day of Pentecost came, which is like, it's a festival. This is the time where people from all over, Jews from all over are coming to Jerusalem. This is the place where they are going to celebrate the festival. It's after the Passover. Um, Jesus appeared to them um, 40 days after the Passover and Pentecost is 10 days after Jesus's ascension back to heaven. So there are people from all over who have come to Jerusalem and those who are with Jesus, the disciples, the ones he told to wait, they were still there. They were all together at the time of Pentecost and uh, they were like holed up in a house in one place. And suddenly there's a sound. Uh, it sounded like a blowing wind that filled the house. I just want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. Sounded like that's that's a comparison. It means it wasn't that. But in order for me to give you an illustration of what it was like at that time, the writer of the text is saying, let me explain to you what it was like. The people who were there are like, well, it wasn't wind, but there was this sound that came in like the blowing of a violent wind and it came in and it filled the room. So it makes me think that the sound filled the room was the the entering in of the presence of God, the, the spirit of God coming into there, filling that space up. It sounded like a violent wind. It wasn't a violent wind. It filled up the room. It was the sound of the spirit of God coming into that place. And then it was upon them. And then they could see what seemed like um, flames of fire rested on everyone in the room. And then they began to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit was upon them and they began to um, speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them is what it reads in verse four. Now in Jerusalem, like I said, cause it's Pentecost were God fearing Jews from all over. And the noise that they were making in this house, all of the speaking and talking they're doing in this house, they are doing it at such a loud volume that it's starting to attract a crowd. So these people are like coming up like, what is this sound coming from the house? And they began to hear their native language being spoken by people who didn't speak their language. Are you following me? So let me just set this picture for you. So we just all, we're going to be disciples, okay? We just all in the house chilling together, waiting on um, Jesus's promise to be fulfilled. We're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And then in comes this sound. It sounds like a violent wind, but it's not wind and it fills the place. And then it's upon us. And as I look out, maybe I don't have a mirror. I can't see over my own head. But as I look out across my brothers and sisters, I can see that there's a flame that is rested upon me. And now I am able to speak a language that I have not learned. And the people who are outside of the house begin to hear their native language being spoken by people who don't speak their language. So let's say we we all speak English, right? That's our language. We all speak English. But the people who are outside can hear us now speaking in Spanish, French, Greek, Hebrew, Italian, Russian, German. And none of us have learned those languages. We're not bilingual. We don't know those languages. They're like, wow, how is it the people outside are in awe? How is it that they are Galileans and they are speaking our language? We understand what they're saying. And then, you know, he starts to list like all the places that they're from and all the tongues that they're speaking. Somebody in the crowd, you know, there's always one. Somebody in the crowd is such a skeptic that they're like, mm, start making fun. Like, it's probably not. I don't know what you're talking about. They probably jump drunk. Peter's like, let me straighten this. So Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd and he's like, they are not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. 
Okay. What is happening right now is what the prophet Joel said would happen. And then he connects the dot with what the prophet said. Um, I'm going to read verse 17. I'm in chapter two, verse 17. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This is a sign, right? Bold, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? So that's the first thing that Peter says. He's like, let me tell y'all, this is exactly, this is the fulfillment of what Joel said all these years ago on these scrolls that we've been reading and we've been studying. And you know, they know about Joel and his prophecy. Why? Because these are Jews from all over the land, God-fearing Jews who would know the word of God, who would know the prophetic things that have been said about what God was going to do in and through his people, how things were going to go. These are people who would have been familiar with that, right? Because we're in Jerusalem. He's talking to all these Jews. Peter continues and talks about how Jesus, the one y'all just killed, this Nazarene, right? He is actually the fulfillment of scripture. But just like scripture said that y'all would conspire and collaborate with evil men to turn him over and have him killed, that's what y'all did. But death could not hold him. Then he quotes David. Peter quotes David. So basically Peter's preaching. He quotes David. He's like, even when David said, um, verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me that the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. So now Peter is quoting David. He's like, even David, who I hope y'all don't think that David was talking about himself when he said that you will not leave your holy one to decay because we know that David died and was buried and he did not rise again. But David by prophetically was speaking about what God was going to do through Jesus because David had a vision. He could see what the Lord was going to do. The spirit of God gave him the ability to see how the word of God was going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And this is what has happened. That's why Jesus, that's why David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is this Jesus, the Jesus that y'all just had crucified. That's the one that Joel was talking about. That's the one that David was talking about. And this ability that you've seen these crazy things that we're able to do. This is a fulfillment of some of the prophecy of Joel. This is what Peter is telling them. He's like, therefore, let me tell you the Jesus this Jesus, the Messiah that y'all killed, he was the right one. So you need to repent, right? And you need to get baptized. The people want to know, because the people are like, oh, they, they felt so bad when Peter told them this. When Peter told them this message, he's basically preaching to them. Peter preaches to them, is giving, delivering them this message. And the people are like, oh my gosh, so what should we do? Peter's like, okay, well, you want to know what to do? Y'all need to repent for what y'all did. And y'all need to get baptized. Repent for your sins and get baptized. And do you know how they responded? The word of God says that um, he tells them that it's a it's a promise. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Um, 
He continued to warn them. Verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm gonna keep going. I gotta get through this. I'm not even through the summary yet. I gotta keep going. It's just so good. I'm ready to talk, but just, let's keep going. Um, the fellowship of the believers. So, you know, now there are 3,000, you know, before the number was 120. The Holy Spirit has come just like they were waiting. They could hear them people speaking in their native tongue. Somebody accused them. Peter stands up. He preached a sermon, baby. He gave a word, got them together. It pierced the heart of them, cut right to the heart of them. This is an example of our words being able to reach to the heart of a person. The Holy Spirit is in, enabling him to do this. So he speaks out, he stands up, he gives this word. People are like, oh my gosh, what should we do? They feel convicted. They receive the message. They do what he tells them to do. They get baptized. The Lord adds 3,000 to the number. Now that they are part, now that they're believers, they're now part of the body of Christ. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. They heard a message, their hearts received it, they were convicted, they responded with action, they took that action, and then they began to lean into that decision, to walk towards, okay, I'm turning away from this, I believe that the Jesus that we betrayed is the promised Messiah, I've repented for that, I got baptized. Now I need to learn how to live. I want to be a part of this community. So now they're living a part of this community, taking care of each other, sharing everything. Nobody needed anything. They were selling their property and selling their possessions to fill any need that anybody had. They met together in temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes. So not at arm's length, but really building community. Right. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Holy Spirit came just as Jesus had promised them. And. I don't know what they imagined it would be like. Right. He told them that the Holy Spirit would empower them, would encourage them, would support them, would guide them, would allow them to go out, that the Holy Spirit would be. He said, Jesus said in chapter one, that that the Holy Spirit would bear witness of him. How? By what? By what the Holy Spirit did through the people. I need to slow down. Let me slow down. I'm so excited. Here's what I see. Let's talk about let's talk about what's in the text. Let's talk about what we can see just in this summary. What can we see? That the Holy Spirit had come as promised. We can see that the whole we remember that he promised the Holy Spirit, and now we see the Holy Spirit came just like Jesus said he would. There's a lesson there. Well, we're gonna get to it. Um, we can see that they had an ability to speak a language, that they they had the ability to speak an unlearned language. Not an unknown language. Let me sit here for a second. Um, there are other evidences of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. And sometimes the result of the Holy Spirit, um, there's not just one, there's not just one result of being one with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let, let's start right there. So there are lots of instances where people have the Holy Spirit come upon, the Spirit of the Lord is upon them. And so they're able to do things that they couldn't do on their own, right? 
And so there is this, um, there's this instance where we have this idea of speaking in tongues where the language is unknown, where the language is unknown. You don't know what it means. Don't nobody know what it means. It's not, a, it's not a known language. Sometimes we refer to it in the Christian spaces as prayer language, um, which really means I don't know what language it is. And don't nobody around me know what language it is. Who knows if it is even a known language in the whole wide world, but that's an unknown language. This, what we're talking about in Acts 2, is not that. This is not the Holy Spirit giving them the ability to speak in unknown tongues. This is the ability to speak in an unknown language. Yes, they're calling it tongues. That's a translation thing, but it's an unlearned language. Because all of the people who were outside made comment about how they could hear Galileans speaking in their native tongue. I speak Greek. They speak something else. Well, they probably spoke Greek, but you see what I'm saying. They, I speak Italian and they speak something else. And I can hear them speaking in my language. How is that so? Then the person standing next to me speaks a different language and they hear them speaking their language and they are talking about Jesus and who Jesus is and the glory of God. That's the conversation that those are the things that they are saying. Those things can be understood by the people outside because it's a known language. But for the person who was speaking it, it was an unlearned language, right? So I hope that makes sense. I just wanted to make that point there. And so they had the result. They had, they, as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, they were able to speak in an unlearned language. Um, in order for that to take place, they needed to have, they needed to be people who repented and were baptized because Peter tells them, this is going to be the gift for those of you who do this. Even this will be available to your children. Anybody who does it, anybody who repents and gets baptized, they will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In order to receive a gift of the Holy Spirit, they needed to repent and be baptized. As a result of doing that, they returned to they turned to God and followed the leadership. They lived in community, oneness, impact. They had impact. They had joy. Um, they were growing. They were going to the temple every day. They were leaning into the teachings of the apostles, right? Those are the things that we saw. I know I'm kind of like going through it. I don't know why I'm going so fast. I'm not like, I'm not on a timer. I mean, I am on a timer, but I, I, I got time. So I don't know why I'm running through it. But it, I think it's the excitement because I just feel like, oh, this is so good. Um, so when we look at when we look at the um, text and we see what happened and, and now we're looking at the observation, um, you know, this is the perfect setting. It's, it's the perfect setting because there are witnesses and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would bear witness. So stay with me. It's the perfect setting. It's the perfect time of year. It's the perfect location. It also explains why Jesus would tell them to wait in Jerusalem. We talked about this last week. He could have sent the Holy Spirit to them wherever they were all over the world, right? But the Lord is always setting up for glory and impact. His glory and the greatest impact for his, for the kingdom. Do you understand? And so think of the impact that the Holy Spirit coming on them at Pentecost in Jerusalem, it's the perfect setting because there are so many people here. 
from all over. And what are they going to do? Come on, this right here, this this right here is this strategy is evangel. This is evangelism right here. Okay. What, why is this so great? Because these people have come here. They don't just speak another language. They have come here from all over the earth, right? They've come from all over the world to Jerusalem at this time of year, because it's the time of this festival, perfect timing, perfect location. Now they are going to bear witness to um, the impact and the power and the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, they're going to witness that. And what are they going to do when the festival is over? They're going to take it back to where they live. They don't live here. They haven't relocated here. They're just here for a festival. They're going to take it out to the ends of the earth. Perfect location. Perfect setting. This is an undeniable presence. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's twofold. This being able to speak in an unlearned language, being witnessed by so many people who are not, they're not colluding. They're not all together. They're not all from the same place. They are from different places. They have different cultures. They might be all Jewish, but they're from different places. They're from different cities. They don't, they're not necessarily cousins. You understand what I'm saying? So there's not any colluding here. These are all eyewitnesses of something that is not, um, it's not objective, right? It's, this is not, this is not something that's um, subjective. It's not something where it's like, well, you know, the man who, who they gave sight to, we're trying to make sure that this is actually the same man who was blind from birth. Or we want to make sure this is the same man who was actually crippled or did they bring in somebody else, right? Oh, this person came in in a wheelchair and he laid hands on him and then he stood up, but maybe he could always walk, right? Like there's no way. This is not that. This is undisputable, undeniable, supernatural happening, miracle of their ears. And while that's true, guess what? It's still denied, right? It is undeniable that those people came and they were speaking in all these languages that they didn't know, these languages that were native to other people. That is undeniable that I hear people who don't speak that language speaking that language in a recognizable way. It's not babble. They're not just babbling and making up sounds. They're not just, um, you know, putting on the accent of the people and just making up fake words. No, these people here are like, oh my gosh, I understand what they're saying. That's my language. That seems, I'm saying it's undeniable. It's an undeniable presence, yet it's still denied. I know we're looking at these people like, how can they deny this? How can this man stand up and say, man, they just drunk? How? I, I, it makes me wonder. It doesn't say where the man is from. It doesn't say what language he speaks. I wonder if he speaks their same language. I wonder if the thing that made him mock what he was hearing and what they were experiencing, I wonder if the thing that made him mock that was the fact that they weren't speaking a language that he knew, right? Like maybe we both speak English and now they're speaking another language, but I don't know that language. So it all sounds like babble to me, right? Maybe he felt slighted. 
Um, maybe he was just a jerk. You know, I don't know. I don't know what led him to say it. But even with all the people saying, oh, my gosh, how are they speaking in our language? He was still like, they're not speaking your language. They're drunk. I don't know what allows people or what keeps people from being able to see the truth. But we can see it here. That even when something seems, okay, I got you. Even when something seems undeniable, people will deny it. Even though your anointing is undeniable, even though your gifting is undeniable, even though your calling is undeniable, even though your faith is undeniable, even though this thing that you've been called to do, your purpose is undeniable, there will still be people who will deny it. Don't, let, don't allow their denial cause you to doubt what you know to be true. Right. The presence of God in your life is undeniable. What Jesus has done in and through you is undeniable. Who brought you out? How you got to where you are right now? Undeniable. Anybody ever experienced something and you like, oh, my goodness, the presence, the realness of God. I'm telling you right now. Can't nobody tell me that Jesus ain't real. Anybody got an experience like that? Drop it in the chat. I just want to know. Say, yes, I have. a I know he's real experience. Do you have? a I know he real. He's real experience. You can have an undeniable experience in your life and people can witness how God healed your body when the doctor said that you would not make it. People can witness how God reconciled your marriage when people thought it wasn't going to last. People can witness how God brought you up out of the darkness of depression and anxiety and still somebody might say, man, that's just therapy. Man, it wasn't even that deep. Man, they probably faking it. Man, it probably ain't going to last, right? And then you start to think to yourself like, well, maybe... Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I don't have this calling. Maybe I don't have this anointing. But you know you had an experience. You know the, the experience for you was undeniable. I don't know what leads people to deny what to those who have experienced it is absolutely undeniable. I don't know what leads us to that. But I think a lot of times it happens and that causes us to doubt ourselves. Let this be a reminder to you. That even when something is seemingly undeniable, there's always one in the crowd who's like doubting that this thing really happens. Um, something else that I, I observed in the text is like, you know, when somebody stood up to say something ridiculous, like these people are drunk, Peter made it his business to stand up and teach. It was a teachable moment. He didn't just say yes. He didn't argue. He he didn't, there's a difference between arguing and teaching. Peter didn't stand up and argue. Peter taught. No, let me school. Peter schooled him. Let me school you and let you know what this really is. Because what you think it is, it ain't that. You think they drunk, it ain't that. Let me school you. You remember that? I don't know if you read. So I feel like the people who were there must have been Jewish. It says a God-fearing Jews from all over were there. It was in the presence of God-fearing Jews. So this is somebody who might not believe it. Oh, come on, God. That's good. That's so good. There's there some, I don't know. I don't know who this was. But there's this person who should know. There's a person who should be able to see. Why? Because they are God-fearing. Because they are a part of um, the body of Christ. They should be able to see the miracle that just happened. They should be able to acknowledge that this thing has happened or you've been called or the anointing. You would think that this person would get it because this man, he's a God-fearing Jew that's there. The Bible says there are God-fearing Jews from all over. 
And in response to that, Peter stands up to teach. And he started teaching using a prophecy. The only people who are going to know that are people who know the word. Crazy. I, I mean, I literally just got that right now. Crazy how people who you think like, oh, they're a believer. They, they are Christian. They go to church. They a deacon, they elder, apostle, they whatever, they a pastor, they a teacher, whatever they are. This person is this. You think that they would be able to see the work of God in your life, but they are still not able to see it. That's not about you. I'm going to move on from that. I don't know who needs to move on from that too, but I'm going to move on from that. Peter stands up and in response to this man saying whatever, this is a teachable moment. He's not going back and forth. He's just laying out the facts. What I ain't going to do is argue with you. But since you know the word, what I'm going to hit you with is the word. No, this is not that. This is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said. And then he tells them what the prophet Joel said. The first thing that I feel about that is sometimes we cannot come correct and correct people. Sometimes we can't have a teachable moment and teach people because we ourselves have not learned the word enough to be able to um, aptly break down the word and and. It, and explain to somebody why their position is in error, right? Not by, why they're wrong, right? But why they are in error in their positioning or their thinking is, is not in alignment with the word. Well, I don't know the word well enough. I know that what they're saying is not right, but I don't know the word well enough to eloquently explain it in a way that is going to get the point across. I can't quote, you know, prophecy. I can't reference prophecy because I'm not really in the Bible. That's the first thing I saw. Peter is in Peter knows the word enough to be able to quote a prophecy from Joel long before his time. That's a studied man. And for the record, y'all remember that Peter was a fisherman. He was no Bible scholar. He was no teacher of the law. He was no Pharisee, no Sadducee. He was no scribe. He wasn't a highly educated man by in terms of, you know, uh, culture and the world at that time. But one thing we can see is he devoted some time to learning the prophecy and the word, probably the law of Moses. He, he devoted some time to knowing the, the Pentateuch. He devoted some time to it because uh, old boy is quoting Joel. And in order to quote it and teach it in this moment, in this, in order to take advantage of this teachable moment, I got to know it, right? So Peter knows the word enough to teach. And because of the way that he spoke the word, it convicted them. Sometimes people hear what you're saying, but they're not convicted. I'm not saying it's on you. I'm just saying, you know, the message is received when there's a response with action. Okay, I gave this word. I spoke this word. I taught. I explained it to them. People don't just receive the message because they heard it. There are people who hear messages every week. It doesn't mean that they receive it. There are people who hear messages all the time. It doesn't mean that they accept it. When they accept a message of correction, when they accept a message of that challenges them, that it that it um stretches them, they respond in action. They accept for all of those who accepted the message, they got baptized. You know what else that tells me? It means that not everybody accepted the message. There were lots of people that heard it. Everybody didn't accept it. There were lots of people that could hear it, but not everybody had the mind and the heart to heed the message that Peter gave. Message received equals lives changed, right? They, they repented. They got baptized. They started to lean into the teachings 
And we can see that God did the growing. The Bible says over and over, like there, there were 30,000, there were 30,000. There were 3,000 that at, were added that day. There were 3,000 that were added that day. And then after that, they were at God added to the number God. After that, God added to the number daily. They were doing their thing. And every day, God added to the word, added to the number. This change resulted in unity, the accepting of Christ, the becoming a believer, getting saying yes to God and no to the world, repenting from sin and getting baptized and becoming a part of the body of Christ resulted in unity and community, not in isolation. They leaned into being family. They 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 stayed together. They ate. They hung out. They fellowshiped. They studied together. They were going into study groups. They was going to the temple every day while they were there. They were allowing people to come into their homes, not at arm's length. You can come to my house. It's different. It's one thing for us to eat together at the church and for us to eat together at a restaurant. It's another thing for me to let you come to my house and break bread at my table. They get they ate. Um, let me go to verse. 46 every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they met together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people they just they were like living a they live in their best life they was living a best life and it resulted in community not in isolation what can we learn from this well there are lots of things that we can learn from you know all the things that we observe First of all, that the Holy Spirit is a gift of salvation. You can expect for people to move by the Spirit, have the fruit of the Spirit if they have not, if they are not a believer. Holy Spirit is a gift, just crazy. It's like a bonus gift, really, because salvation in and of itself is a gift. It's not something that we can earn. It's something that we have to accept by acknowledging our sin, repenting and, and saying, determining in our mind and our hearts to turn away from it and turning towards Christ, believing that Jesus uh, lived, that he died, that he rose again on the third day with all power in his hands and that Jesus is alive. Right. So when we accept that gift freely, then we get a bonus gift. And that bonus gift is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a gift. It's an extension. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a benefit. It's a bonus of salvation. And so that gift allows us to do lots of things. But the thing that we see here specifically is that, let me just, let me slow down. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit arrives. The Holy Spirit's presence is felt, heard, and seen. It came in, it sounded, Holy Spirit came in sounding like a violent wind. The Holy Spirit rested on people and it they saw what seemed like flame, fire flames resting on people's head, resting on people, let me not say they head, resting on people. The Holy Spirit was heard, felt, it, fi it filled the room, it filled the space, and it filled the people. And it gave them the ability to speak. Now I want you to understand this. This speaking in an unlearned language was the Holy Spirit doing, right? The Holy Spirit can empower you to use gifts and skills that belong to you right? So I have a gift 
I have a skill. The Holy Spirit gives me the power to use my gift and my skill to its highest potential. But I cannot be one with the Holy Spirit and still have my gift and still have my skill. And I can use it to the detriment of my life or I can use it in perversion or I can use it for self-serving reasons, or I can use it in manipulation, but it's my gift. The Lord gave me my gift. And so I'm doing whatever I want to do with it. I'm not out here living my life for the Lord, right? There's a gift that I've been given. There's a skill. There's a gift that you've been given. There's a skill. There's a talent. There's something, right? There's a purpose. The presence of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, allows you to use that gift at the highest level, but that gift is yours and you have access to it even without the Holy Spirit. This instance is not that. They did not have the knowledge of that language, not before the Holy Spirit came upon them and not after the Holy Spirit left them, right? They can't just decide like, oh, I'm going to speak in German now. I'm going to speak in Russian. No, that's not a thing. The Holy Spirit, this is the first time in the Bible where God, the Spirit of God, is in living in and dwelling in us as sin, like the sinful bodies of humanity. Dude, like that's a huge thing. And it's in that indwelling that the Holy Spirit took use of their vocal cords right? And began to speak in another language to the people. This is the thing that the Holy, this is a supernatural work being done through them. What does that mean for you? It means that the Holy Spirit not only enables you to use gifts that you possess, but the Holy Spirit will also do things through you. It will be a work of the Holy Spirit and it will not be given to you. You won't be able to tap into it whenever you want. It is an acting of the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful thing. I just feel like I've been playing the Holy Spirit to the left, like the, the Holy Spirit. You can use me. You can do things through me. You can also empower me to do, to use my gift at a higher level. It's like a super pet. Yes, it like for lack of a better way to explain it, you know? Um, the other thing that, another lesson that we can take from this is that we can just stop, we can stop. I don't know who, who's gonna be blessed by this, but I'm blessed by it. As an entrepreneur, I'm blessed by it. And if there are any entrepreneurs um, that are listening, I hope that you are blessed by this. You can stop worrying about growing. Growing your following um, growing your communities. You can stop um, pl church planters, myself, I'm super excited. I can stop uh, worrying about the church growth. I can, because God is the one who adds to the number and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. It's not what they did. It's what God did. God added to the number. So you can stop worrying about growth and expansion. You just don't have to worry about that anymore. You can do what you've been called to do. They, he taught, they broke bread. They gave themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Um, they sold their things. They served, they impacted the community, the poor, they hung out with each other. They, you know what I'm saying? Um, praise God. They prayed together. All of these things. You can do that, you know, stay in your lane, doing that thing. And the Lord is the one who's going to add to the number. If that's not a weight off, you worried about reels and 
tagging. I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying do what you can with what you have, but understand that the growth is 100% the Lord's responsibility. I got to put the seed in the ground. I got to do the whatever, but the Lord is the one who's going to call forth the growth and the fruit and the manifestation of things. You understand what I'm saying? Um, that, that to me is very freeing. We can also... We also see this great example. I'm, I'm going to go back to this. We also see this great example. Here's a lesson. That if we want to live a life where we are, where we have gladness and sincere hearts, where we are praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, if we want to experience living in a community where we don't have any needs that all of our needs are met and we are meeting the needs of each other uh, where we are serving and having an impact in our community we can follow their example if we desire that result they didn't they didn't live in isolation they didn't give their life to christ and just go to church and come home they were in life groups for all intents and purposes. They were meeting together um, in the temple courts. Y'all can meet together in the Zoom courts. You know what I'm saying? Just online church. Y'all can meet together in the Zoom courts. You can be like, oh, every week on Tuesday, we should just get together and talk and check in and see how each other's doing. They wanted to lean in. It wasn't like another extra thing to do. Like, oh my gosh, that's just one more thing on my list. They took joy. They enjoyed being around other believers in the community. They had meals together. I, I was thinking about this, you know, as I read this, every time I'm studying, you know, I start thinking about like, how am I like these people or how am I unlike these people? And, you know, there are some things like, okay, sometimes I'm convicted by a message that I see or a message that I hear. Or somebody challenges me. Um, I'm telling somebody how I'm feeling about something and they challenge me to be more like Christ and to repent from my wrong thinking. So that's that's cool. But I really started to think about how the believers are living. And I, I just started to, you know, reflect. And so I want you all to reflect with me for just a moment. You know, are you breaking bread with other believers and how often are you opening up your home? And I don't mean like, are you just hanging out with people who love this? is I just I really thought a lot about this. I don't mean like, are y'all just hanging out and going to lunch? Right. I mean, I know there's some of that, but it seems like there was some. I don't know, some like I don't want to use this word. But it's all the word I can think. Of. It feels like when I read this, like there was some type of like holiness. It wasn't just like a hangout. Right. It wasn't just like a hangout. It was like we are hanging out and we are all just excited about this gospel, this good news that we have. And we're all excited about this new outlook that we have. And we're all excited about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're all excited about the things of God. And so we're praising God and we're eating and we have this gladness and we're excited. And, you know, we're enjoying the favor of people like just like sincerely leaning in and connecting um, with this unity of like this oneness. Do you understand what I'm saying? I wonder how often you do that. Do you do that? Do maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't do it. And so I just started thinking about that. I don't break bread often with other believers in this way. Most of, I don't, most of my friends are believers. I don't want to say all of them because somebody might not be. Um, and I'll be like, oh, I forgot that one person. But most of the people I hang out with are believers. But there is um, there's a sentiment here that seems different than just like a regular hang, hangout 
with people who are Christian. It, it feels more like a life group or a small group where we get together and we're eating and we're talking and we're encouraging each other and our thoughts and our attitudes are elevated to a kingdom standard. And I feel like sometimes when we're hanging out, we're just kind of hanging out. We down here like chilling, just hanging out in this in this not like worldly way, but in this worldly way where we're just talking about life and its complaints and what's happening and what's going on. This seems like a pure, like a very elevated encounter and community. Maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe that's the spirit telling me that I need to be in more spaces like that or create spaces like that. Cause I immediately started thinking like, who can I invite into my home um, once a week or once a month or how can I start to connect with people um, in a way, whether it's on technology through Zoom, where it's like this high level um, thinking space. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now, but I've just started to think about that. I don't break bread with other people. And I don't know that I live this way. I don't know that I live in a way where I'm in a community and we're serving together and we're taking care of each other's needs. It seems like this is just be like this is beyond their friendships. Do you see what I'm saying? I have friends that I hang out with, but this kind of seems beyond friendship. It seems like a larger, it seems like the community at large, you know? And I just, I wonder how often that is happening. You know, I just, I wonder how often that's happening for you. I know it's certainly not happening for me um, on a regular basis. So maybe that's just my own conviction. Okay. And I'll take that. I'll take that. Maybe it's just my own conviction. Um, so with all these lessons, then, you know, and all of this that I'm giving you, what is God calling us to do then, right? He wanted them to believe, repent, and get baptized. He wanted them to share the gospel. He wanted them to bear witness so that others would do the same. He wants them to become disciples and disciple makers, right? The, the great commission was to go out and make disciples of the world. So now you're going to wait here in Jerusalem. And that's when that assignment starts. So now they're in Jerusalem. And now Peter is telling all these people these things. And now these people have believed. Now they're learning the teachings. What do you think God wants them to do with the message that they've received and they've changed their lives? And now they're all leaning in. What do you think God wants them to do? He wants them to return back to their homes and repeat that cycle that they would share, that they would bear witness so that others would do the same and that the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth. Let's start here. We have to start at the beginning. Have you received this message? If, if I'm saying that the message here is that God wants us to believe, repent, get baptized. And once we get baptized, he wants us to share, bear witness so that others can do the same. He wants us to become disciples because he told them to go out and make disciples of the world. So that means he wants the people to become disciples. And once I become a disciple, he wants me to go out and do the same thing and be a disciple maker. Have you received that message? Do you believe? Have you repented? Have you been baptized? Check. Then that means you're on the next level. And if you're not, then that's the base level right there. Okay, I believe, but I haven't repented. I haven't, you know, asked God to be the Lord of my life. I haven't repented and said that I believe. Oh, I did that, but I never got baptized. Oh, I did all of those things. Okay, well, are you bearing witness and sharing to the end that others can do the same? Not just talking to your homegirl who's already saved. You're, have you become a disciple? Because he wants them to make disciples of the world. Have you become a disciple where you have devoted time to the teachings of God? 
It says they devoted time. Let me see. Where is it? They devoted. Mm, uh, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are the things that they devoted them. This, these are the things that they devoted themselves to. Have you devoted yourself to becoming a disciple of the word of God so that you can go out and share the word in a very similar manner as Peter in a way that will convict the hearts of people and that they would turn from their sin and repent. That means I'm having conversations with non-believers. Have you received this message? And if you've received this message, how will you respond? Where will you pick up? I don't know where you at yet. We all at different levels, but where will you pick up? Where is God calling you to action? How you living right now? And I don't mean, how are you living like sinning or not? I mean, that's a whole nother thing, but that's not what I mean. I mean, are you living in community? Are you serving it? Are you serving the church? Are you connected to other believers? It's twofold. There has to be some going out and speaking to non-believers, witnessing and bearing witness and making disciples of them. But there also has to be some coming together in community with believers. Are you still living in isolation? Hmm. How are you living? Are you serving? Are you committed to learning? If you've received this message and the message is that God wants you to respond with action, wherever you are, Right. I don't know which one applies to you. Maybe it's salvation first for you. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to start sharing. You start thinking about how you're going to share your testimony so that other people. Maybe you need to start devoting yourself to becoming a disciple of the word of God. Maybe you need to start devoting yourself to speaking to other people and helping them to become disciples, helping them to come to know Christ. I don't know which one you are, but if you have accepted this message like the early believers, it means that you will be responding with action because all of those who accepted the message got baptized. So everyone that accepts this message, it's not going to be you saying you accept the message in the chat. It ain't going to be that. It's not going to be you typing, yes, I accept the message. It's going to be you actually doing something as a result taking action steps to be obedient to what God is calling you to do from the place that you're in, right? And that starts with salvation. And if you don't know God, if you have not first repented, right? If you haven't gotten to that place, well, let me, come on, let's get it together. I'm gonna make a disciple, let's go. If you haven't yet repented, let's do it. Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I have been doing things my own way, following my own path. And today I'm deciding to follow you. I believe that you raised God. You be, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I now accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept the gift of salvation right now. Thank you, Father God, for forgiving me for my sins. Thank you from saving me from the wages of sin, which is death. Thank you for giving me eternal life with you. Amen. Now, if you said it and you believed it, that 
is it. The Lord says that whosoever should call on my name. And guess what? Lucky for you, you are a whosoever. Amen to that. I want to welcome you to the family of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If this is your first time um, saying that prayer, you're brand new to coming to know Christ, then um, I would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. We want you to join the community right? We want to hear from you. Why? Because we want you to join the community because this is not a thing that is done in isolation. I mean, we just saw that. They didn't say, oh, we did it. And then they went to their corner. No, they did it. And they leaned in. And I want you to lean in. Send us an email at praise at boldfaithchurch.org. And someone from the care team will connect with you and will get some resources in your hand and help you to get connected in community so that you can devote yourself to the teaching of God, so that you can devote yourself to fellow shipping and community and praising and breaking bread and all of that with us. We are so excited to have you. If you haven't been baptized and you need to be baptized, right? Like, okay, I've already done this, but I haven't been baptized. Send that to us an email to praise at boldfaithchurch.org. Praise at boldfaithchurch.org and say, hey, you know what? I've never been baptized. I just came to know Christ and I want to get baptized so that I can, you know what I'm saying? Be obedient to what the Lord is telling me to do. Send us an email, let us know, and we will get connected with you and help you to take those steps. Maybe you're coming back to God. You're like, oh, you know, I got saved and I got baptized, but I've really been chilling. You know what I'm saying? I really ain't been bearing witness. I've just been hanging out with my church friends. I got that fellowship part down, but that evangelizing and making disciples of the world, I ain't really got that. If that's you, uh, you can send us an email too and say, hey, you know what? I want to get plugged in. I want to know how I can start sharing. I want to get equipped. Maybe you're interested in leading a life group. Maybe you want to join the life group. Um, then send us an email. We'd love to hear from you as well, now listen, y'all know church is not over. First and foremost, if you have absolutely loved this message and you want to help us tell uh, YouTube that this is great content, be sure to like this video, be sure to subscribe to this channel and share, share, share. You want to help us to give um, this message. You want to help us to spread this message. You want to help us to give. You want to help us to spread this message, the message of Jesus Christ, how he you know, rescues us from a dark place, how he has, um, you know, saved us from the wages of sin, which is death. You want us to help us give this life-changing, transformational message to people all over the world. Then you can partner with us by giving at boldfaithchurch.org. Uh, you can set up your tithes and offering. You can give a one-time gift or you can have reoccurring giving. Either way, we thank you for your generosity. We could not do this without you. Guess what? We're not done. It is time for life groups. And so I hope to see you on the Zoom call. Be sure to let me know if this is your first time or you've been coming a lot. Let us know how this message has blessed you by coming into the community. Church is not done yet. This is a great time for us to do that fellowship. If you've received this message and you haven't been fellowshipping and you haven't been with us, then this is your sign to come and join us. All right. Thank you as always for joining us here on Bold Faith Community Church every Saturday, 8 a.m. Now to the Zoom. Love y'all. See y'all in a second.